what's going on. This is not every, an everyday thing. It's not a, you know, this is not our stewardship emphasis. This is much bigger. This is one of the defining days in the history of this church. And over the next month or so will be a defining time in the history of this church. And it's going to be amazing. I don't want you to miss out on being a part of Imagine as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Gracious God, as we come into this place, we thank you for your presence with us here in this time of worship. Help us to understand and to, to know vision, your vision for your church, Good Shepherd. And as we think about those things, help us to hear the story of Nehemiah and how Nehemiah reflects that understanding of knowing vision and of acting on it. So speak to us through all the words that you've given me to say today and allow these words to speak to our hearts this morning as we gather here. In Jesus Christ's name, I ask these things. And the people of God said together, Amen. So as I prayed about imagine... Over the last several months, one leader in the Bible kept being raised up to me. And that is the challenging opportunity that Nehemiah had in the Old Testament. When he felt that God was calling him to rebuild Jerusalem after the Israelite exile. Now I know you're all familiar with Nehemiah. You've read him back and forward. You might want to look at your Bibles now to go ahead and try and find Nehemiah. Before we start, we're going to be in Nehemiah 2 or on your phones. Even easier. But Nehemiah had a vision and decided to face the challenge that God had laid upon his heart. And his decision contained at least three important things that I think are necessary if we're going to imagine God's vision for us going forward. The first one of those things to imagine God's vision is there has to be investigation. There has to be investigation. Going to Luke 14, 28 through 29, it says this, If one of you wanted to build a tower, wouldn't you first sit down and calculate the cost to determine whether you have enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when you've laid the foundation but couldn't finish the tower, all who see it will begin to belittle you. Jesus says that right after he's talked to the disciples and said, No one can follow me who does not take up their cross. You see, Nehemiah was not a foolish man. He's, he's really ingenious. He didn't underestimate the cost. He even took a tour of inspection around Jerusalem at night to see what he was getting into, to make an accurate assessment of the situation. He didn't tell anybody he was going to what God had told him to do. And so that's where we pick up in verse 11 of chapter 2 of Nehemiah. And I encourage you to follow along. When I reached Jerusalem and had been there for three days, Nehemiah tells his own story, I set out at night taking only a few people with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God was prompting me to do for Jerusalem, and the only animal I took was the one I rode. I went out by night through the valley gate so that I could inspect the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down as well as its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Remember, the, the Israelites had all been thrown out of Israel, of Judah, and taken off into Babylon in exile. And so Nehemiah is coming back to see the ruins of what's been left behind and the Israelites who remained behind who weren't worth much. Everybody who was worth something was taken with them, but many folks were just left behind. Then I went on to the spring gate, 
into the king's pool. Since there was no room for the animal in which I was riding to pass, I went up by way of the valley by night, and I inspected the wall. See, the walls were so bad in places, he had to dismount to be able to get around them. He didn't over-spiritualize the situation. He didn't say, everything's going to work out. He didn't say, well, I know this, it's all going to happen. He didn't refuse to look at difficulties and hardships of the task. He looked at the facts. He didn't diagnose the problem, and then he rose to the occasion that God had put him there to be able to do. Many of you know, but some may not, especially as our folks have changed over the years, that Good Shepherd had a financial crisis in its past in 2005 and beyond following the building of the Christian Life Center that's back behind here. It almost caused everything been built to figuratively be brought down and torn down and crashed down. In some ways it felt like that as we had ministry crushing debt ever since then. But the amazing thing is also is that Good Shepherd also rose to the occasion to continue on beyond that crisis time in its existence. And that's the story I want to be able to tell to you as well when we go to gather afterwards for our question and answer uh, next door. A time for us to share some history, a time for us to, to be able to share some information. It's not a time of financial commitment. We're not going to ask for anything. We just want you to listen. We got some sandwiches and some snacks, so please come eat them so they don't go to waste. And just listen to what we have to say, and then you can decide how it is that you might feel God leading you. Second, in order to imagine God's vision, it takes cooperation. It takes cooperation. Verse 17, Nehemiah once again. So I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem is in ruins and its gates are destroyed by fire. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we won't continue to be in disgrace. I told them that my God had taken care of me and also told them what the king had said to me. Let's start rebuilding, they said. And they eagerly began their work. You see, Nehemiah knew that he needed the help of God's people to be successful. It was their God and his testimony was being made mockery of. And together they shared the same God. They would share the same work of rebuilding. And he knew if there was no unity of vision, then there would be no unity of purpose. You see, if a church is not willing to unite for the cause of Christ, it will get lost in unimportant issues. And the work of Christ will not get done. We can't do all that God wants us to do or remain in our debt. That's the simple fact. We cannot do all that God wants us to do as a church while we remain in our debt. Amen? And you see, Nehemiah was amazing because he was able to translate the vision to everybody who was around him. And they all had the same purpose to rebuild the walls to God's glory. That was their singular purpose. Nehemiah worked from a planned strategy. It wasn't haphazard. He didn't just go on the fly. And Nehemiah had a vision, and he knew the time was now because God had told him the time was now. We also have one singular vision in Imagine. 
The vision is not paying off the debt. That's not much of a vision. That is the necessary thing in order to do the vision. The vision is what will come after this? What will come after this peace? What happens next? We've been so long in the place of just paying off the debt that we don't really have an understanding of what God has for us after. What is the vision once we have all the resources that are available to us to use for ministry? So we have a vision. And then we have a plan. You see, without a vision, Proverbs 29, 18 says, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, the people will perish. Without a vision, the people will perish. With a vision and a plan, anything is possible. Remember Walt Disney? He's one of my favorites. One of the best leaders of all times. Forget the park. The park's great. But Walt Disney, if you haven't read his story before, if you haven't read his visionary things he's written, he's incredible. Because he's one of the most visionary people in American history. He knew how to dream a dream and make that dream happen. He made groundbreaking movies. He took animation to undreamed of levels. And of course, he created Disneyland in California and the massive Disney World just outside of Orlando, which encompasses 47 miles. Walt Disney World is the size of San Francisco. To put that in terms you can think of. Think about that. And so when Disney World first opened, actually in October, just like now, 1970, I believe, Mrs. Walt Disney was asked to speak at the grand opening because, you might remember, Walt had died before they ever saw completion. And she was introduced by a man who said, Mrs. Disney, I just wish that Walt had lived to see this. And Mrs. Disney got up for her speech And she said, he did. And then she sat back down because her speech was over. And the world remembers that through his incredible ability to dream the dream, cast the vision, Walt Disney had already enjoyed Disney World in his mind. The picture that you see there is that's the swamp land that Walt Disney World is built on. And he'd already imagined that castle way before it had ever gone up. It was already a part of what had already happened for him. So he wasn't even alive when the gates opened for the first time, but he had already imagined all of it. You see, we have a vision too. We believe it's been given by God and we can see it. They were ready to move forward last year, but this didn't, wasn't the right time, didn't seem right. There were things that weren't falling into place and we are having to force it. And through the help of Barbara Hall, who couldn't be with us today, I was able to, with her help, discern it wasn't the right time. We weren't in the right place. But this time, things have come together just like they needed to come together. Things have happened in all the ways that they've needed to happen. And we believe that now is the time, after all these years, to move past the rest of our remaining debt on the Christian Life Center so that we can live into our future vision of what God wants us to be. Once again, our vision is not the debt. Our vision is what's past that. But we've got to conquer the debt before we can do that. Now's the time. 
We always like, no, when's the right time? When's the right time? No, it's never the right time. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, now's the time. It's been over a decade. Over a decade. It's time to take this on and to tackle it and to move forward from it and to move past it so we can do everything else. There's never a good time. There's only a God time. And that's very different than any particular time we might think is the best time, though we do believe this is the time. And you'll notice in chapter 3, if you read past Nehemiah chapter 2, you'll see that Nehemiah didn't rebuild the wall by himself. He divided the work among 42 other groups. 42 other groups. And this is great because each group was committed to getting their particular task done. Each group saw the big picture. And because of that, it minimized their jealousy because they weren't thinking about themselves. They knew they needed each other. Therefore, they appreciated each other more for their work and what they were able to contribute together. You see, for months, our imagined leaders were working together behind the scenes. Over 30 people have been working and a sacrifice of their time to get us ready for now. Melissa Heisey is our program director, and she's been kind of overall keeping everybody on board and on task, making sure we do what we're supposed to do. Why would they do this? Why sacrifice for weekly meetings and other things that have been going on that you don't know anything about because they're the ones that have been doing this in leadership? Well, because they believe it's a time too. They're excited part of what's going to happen next. They know that we are on the cusp of something great, of something big, of something bigger than we've ever been about for most of us in this particular congregation. And they know that working together, we can do this. Working together, we can do this. We can accomplish this and be able to take care of it. I love this verse from Leviticus 26.8. It says this, and I think it becomes a key verse during this whole time. It says this, Five of you will chase away a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase away ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you. Five. A hundred. Chasing away ten thousand. You see, we're strong when we're unified in our purpose. The strength of an individual, a family, even a church, a business, or any other thing, it is the unity that is in Christ. The minute our vision changes from God's purpose to our own private work, then our strength is all gone. You see, Nehemiah set each group to work on the wall that was nearest to their home. So smart. Because he knew people are more apt to do good work and build a stronger wall if the security of their family is depending upon the wall that's in front of them. And so we too must start rebuilding the wall that comes closest to home first. Good Shepherd has been for all of us for a year or five years or ten years or fifteen years or twenty years our spiritual home. This is our spiritual home, good or bad. Something's happening inside the home that's bad and good. There's fights, there's infighting, there's outfighting, there's good, but it's still family. It's still family and it's still home. It's the place that we've chosen to be or we wouldn't be here in this place. And I hope that means everything to us, that our spiritual home is an important part of who we are and what we do. And in all honesty, though, we have to start the building or rebuilding process in our own private lives before we can begin to build or rebuild our spiritual home. 
That's what we've been focused on over the last four weeks and be transformed. Getting our own spiritual house in order through trust and truth and humility and forgiveness, most of all. Because getting our own spiritual house in order enables us to clearly receive God's vision because all this stuff's not in the way of our personal stuff. See, it's not about us. It's about God and our community. And what is God telling us? The Good Shepherd's vision is. Third, in order to imagine God's vision, it takes determination. It takes determination. Back to verse 19. But when Sabalit, the Heronite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Gershom, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and made fun of us. What are you doing, they asked. Are you rebuilding against the king, rebelling against the king? You see, the fear factor factor became part of the story. The enemies of Nehemiah threw the king's title into the conversation, implying the work of Nehemiah's people get them into serious, serious trouble. What they don't know is Nehemiah already got the king's permission in the first place before he ever came. But it seems like there's always a Sambalat or a Tobiah or a Gerson when, they try, when we want to try to build something or imagine something for God. There's always those to laugh at you and discourage you or even that internal critic that tells you you can't do this. I know it. I hear it. I feel it. I sense it in myself and in others. We can't do this. We can't possibly do this. We can't do this. You've got to silence that critic. You've got to silence that peace that somehow takes away from faith because faith is what enables us to do things, not our internal critic. You see, many of us are afraid of failure, including me. That's my fear. Always. We fear it so much that we don't even try. And here's the thing, though. Fear cripples vision. If Walt Disney had been crippled by the inability, people said he could not do, why are you buying all these acres of Florida swampland for something that's not going to work in the first place, he would have never done what he did. If they had said that a mouse can't become a major thing, he never would have done animation like Snow White and the other things that were groundbreaking during the 40s and the 50s and 60s and even now. Pixar is a Disney company, folks. Fear cripples vision because it tells us it can't be done. It can't be done. It cannot be done. How many things in life are we told that cannot be done but are done? Because people believe. People have vision. People see beyond just the, the ordinary things. It's easy to believe the Sambalats and the Tobias of our lives who tell us it isn't time. It isn't time. It isn't time. When is the right time? I don't know, but now's not the time. When is the right time? I don't know. There are two kinds of time. Kronos, which is clock time. And Kairos, which is the right time, God's time. Kairos is what we seek. Kronos will never tell us anything about God. There are those, I'm sure, who said that Good Shepherd could not make it through the trying times after the initial problems, after the building was built. Those who said that there was no way 
you keep the doors open after the massive debt payments are made every month. Well, they won't be here. Even our conference had doubts. Well, when you guys close, then we'll bring a new congregation in. We'll keep the building because it's a great building, but we'll find other people who can be able to utilize it once they absorb our debt. I heard it. Demon heard it before me. There are many decisions that had to be made. And yet here we are, after this massive mortgage payment every month, here we are standing strong on this corner, still a decade after all of that started. It's amazing. It's an amazing testimony to the, the people and to a God who has loved us and lead, led us to be able to help us to continue to be present on this corner when there's no reason that we should be. But that massive amount of debt. When I got here, the amount of debt that was being paid monthly was $24,000 on the mortgage out of $40,000 roughly of income. More than 50% of our money went to debt service every single month. That didn't change until the first part of my first year. We went to 21, and we thought that was a big deal. Then we were able to refinance and to move it from across the street and to go to the foundation, and we were able to bring it down to 12. And now it's almost at 6, with the extra money being put aside to pay towards principal that we're still paying towards that money. Who would imagine that a decade later we'd still be here after those kind of things had happened? So my thing is here, folks, never let the naysayers win. Amen? Never let the naysayers count you out. Never let anybody say you can't do it with God at the head of it because that's not true. I've seen it time and time again that God will lead and the naysayers will never win unless we allow them to do that. And if you notice that Nehemiah was determined because his calling was behind him, not in front of him. He'd already settled it with God. He already knew what he was supposed to do and where he was supposed to go. So whatever happened from that point on didn't change the calling to rebuild the walls. They were going to be rebuilt no matter what happened at that point. And Nehemiah knew it was God's will and would not give up until the work was done. Nehemiah didn't give up until the work was done. He knew that God had already done it and that he just had to live into that promise. It's the same for us. We already know that God has done this. We just need to live into that faith promise now. One of the leaders on the initial team, Nisa Brothers, when she prayed the first time, she said, I thank you, God, that you've already done this, and now we just need to live into your faithful promises to us. It's a whole different way of looking at it. That God's already done it, and so now we're just living into what God has already done. Verse 20 the God of heaven will give us success, I replied. As God's servants, we will start building. To Nehemiah spoke with boldness and authority and courage to these enemies that were around him, these naysayers, to those negative people, and to himself. He knew that the work before him was going to be hard and tedious. You ever built a wall? It's no fun. Building a wall. He knew it takes sacrifice from all of them, not just some of them. It wasn't the same sacrifice, but it was equal sacrifice for each person who was a part of it. 
and it will take sacrifice from all of us to achieve our goal. Not just one of us or ten of us or even a hundred of us, but all of us to be able to sacrifice in some way, whether, you know, wherever you might be at in your life, because that's the only way we will achieve our goal together. And that's the thing. Not one of us can do it. Not ten of us. Not even a hundred of us. But we can all do it together. We can all do it together. It might have been a long time since the folks in Jerusalem had seen someone standing up to the mockers that were all around them. It might have been a long time since they'd been identified as those who belonged to God, those who even had a right to be in Jerusalem. But they heard Nehemiah make that claim, and they were encouraged literally by his courage. And so what I want to do to you is to encourage you, to encourage you to know that we can do this. That's not a pipe dream. It's not pie in the sky. I'm not that kind of person. You know me better than that. But I know that we can do this. I have no doubt that this congregation can come together and tackle this last bit to be able to move forward. I know that. I know that because God's already shown that. God's already said that. God's already given us that promise that we can do this together. If we stay the course, we are almost there. Nehemiah's people were soon off and running on a 52-day stretch that proved to be harder than any of them ever anticipated. They were the leanest of the lean times. When the week started rolling back and they weren't getting all the things done, they weren't on their things-to-do list at work or at home, they were beginning to get discouraged. Imagine building walls for two days, almost two months, just building walls. But Nehemiah was there, and he kept them on course one by one, each gate as it went up and was finished. Have you ever finished a project when you started something and you got to actually see it start coming together? And then he began to see it. I can imagine when the people were sitting here, when this was a slab on the ground, before that it was a piece of mud, we're built on a swamp. I hope you know that. There's a swamp just right over here. You know, that's how we, but this is the place. And they started putting the rafters up and this thing started coming together. And you can imagine sitting in here and praying and thinking what it's going to look like when it gets done and all of that when they could not even see what was going to happen next. Two churches coming together. One church having to move from its original location after years of being in, in mission where they were. Another church moving different direction and coming together and being right here. See, they stayed the course. Block by block, each stone was placed on the wall. And they knew the next stone would lead to the next stone would lead to the next stone. And they stayed the course because Nehemiah stayed the course. And that got the job done. And where did Nehemiah start? If we go back to all the beginning of this, to get this whole thing, Nehemiah started with prayer. You realize it's raining outside now, but it was beautiful and sunny when we were out there, which we didn't expect. It starts with prayer. Your individual and corporate prayer for all of this. Nowhere along the lines, anybody telling you what to do or anything else. It begins with you being in prayer and I being in prayer. And when our hearts are right and the request is right and the timing is right, then God says, go. And we just stay the course. 
Keep going in the direction God called you and me in Good Shepherd. The question that I'm asked a different way, which is the question Nehemiah got asked, is it time to rebuild for me? Is it time for us to do this? Yes, it's time. It is time. There is no better time to do this than now. As I go into my fifth year, it is time. We have been waiting for this moment in the life of this church for longer than I've been here, but now in the time that I've been here, it is time. It is time to tackle this. We are strong enough and we are ready to be able to do this. That's the whole purpose. I can already see the walls going up on our dreams and the reality of what lies beyond it when we're able to move past these things. Brick by brick, sacrifice by sacrifice. And we didn't get there overnight. And we're not going to get out of it overnight, but together we have the ability to be able to come together over the next three years, and maybe even less depending on where our sacrifice comes from. But the faith promised the ability to be able to be out of debt in three years or less after being in debt for more than a decade. Completely, completely out of debt. It's amazing. And so the question that I ask you is, are you determined to start and to finish up what God called us to do? Are you ready to dig us out of debt? Are you ready to get us so we finally can do this? Are we ready to say, you know what, maybe your shovel full is not going to be as big as somebody else's, but you've got enough and enough back to be able to get into it and at least take your shovel full out and get rid of it and get it hauled off. Are you ready to put your shovel in and to dig in deep and to imagine what's going to happen next. My light bulb from the first service blew up. I dropped it. And uh, so all I have is a CFL I stole from the lamp outside. But it's the same thing. Do you realize, even in this configuration, that Edison worked on numerous, numerous, numerous attempts to ever get to what we would call a light bulb? And now, even in different ways, we still use the same technology that he envisioned. They had no idea what it was going to look like. Him and Westinghouse, the new movie coming out, are fighting it out, trying to get this light bulb figured out into the market before each other. And now the biggest thing is, you know what's most popular right now, especially in this day and age? Edison lights. We have LED, old-looking lights, to mimic the old stuff that was never any good in the first place because we think it's so cool. Vision, folks. Vision. Are you ready to dig us out of debt? Yes? Oh, that's so weak. Are you ready to dig us out of debt? Are we tired of this? Are we tired of being in debt over the last decade? And are we ready to do something about it? No matter how big our shovel is, are we ready to move past it and finally get out of this? Then join your hands with mine over the next several weeks. Figure out and pray about where God is leading you to be about and to do. And together we can do this. And I can't even imagine, I can't imagine, how much we'll be able to do after we get done with this. How much more our light will shine so much brighter than we're being hemmed in by the things that, that keep us every month from being able to do that. To free up $72,000, a year that's just going to debt by paying our monthly mortgage? How much more mission could we do? if we had that money in reality. So I hope that you'll come to the fellowship hall and hear some we have to say and be able to ask questions and even a chance for you to write down some of your visions on some things that are laid out there and to imagine what the future could be like for Good Shepherd 
after we do what God's already done and we live into it and move into the next thing. I hope you'll join with me in the leadership of Imagine as we do this. Amen. next chapter begins here. This is the next 25 years, folks. 25 years got us to this. 1996, 2005. We need that building. It's an opportunity for us, not an albatross. And maybe we didn't incur the debt, some of us. That's not how it works, folks. We're all one family, every generation. It's up to us to take care of it together and to move forward into the next chapter of, of faith here. If you will, pull out the insert from your bulletin. We're going to be singing the first verse of Bring Forth the Kingdom. We'll see you in the fellowship hall.